Hey everyone. Nice to see you all. Um, last week, Andy outlined this series, which is called Frontline, and this one is about um, the Frontline series is about how we can represent God really well in our nine to fives and our everyday lives. Andy talks about identifying where your frontline is, um, and today, hopefully, is all about about how you can pastor and care for that frontline, what what you can bring to that frontline. Um, this talk is about being a pastoral presence and how we can love our friends and others even when it's complicated. Uh, he talks about being appointed in the places that you already are. And hopefully, what I'm going to talk to you about today is a really good place to start if you felt really challenged last week, which uh, a few people have said to me that they did. Um, when I was talking to Sam, my husband, about this talk, um, I actually told Sam that I've been given the most important talk that there is. <laughs> um, I haven't, but it's because it's always felt really clear to me that Jesus recognises that loving others alongside loving God is the highest priority, uh, and this is all about loving others. In Matthew 22, 36 to 40, Jesus is asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I have absolutely found that to be true. <laughs> um, everything that you're given as a guidance about how you should live your life in the Bible um, absolutely hangs off that. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour. Um, like, like um, don't bow down to other idols. In fact, Phil, you should be able to list me off all the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Can you? No, don't worry. Um, but um, pretty much all of those are about loving God or loving other people really well. Um, yeah. Um, the parable of the Great Samaritan is a really good example of it, so I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> um, thanks, Johnny. Um, the parable of the Good Samaritan... On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But Jesus wants to justify himself no, but he wants to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happening to be going down the same road, when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Yeah, a priest happened to be going down the road. I hope I read that right. So too and I don't know if it's a Levite or a Levite, I still don't know, but a Levite, uh, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and said, uh, no, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, 
and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The two who are following the rules in this situation are the priest and the Levite. As in Jewish culture, it was not just considered unclean, but actually uh, to have contact with a dead body was defiling. And that is a major no-no for a priest or a Levite. It's absolutely um, not their duty. They must be clean and pure, and that is a really holy commandment that they must be. They both thought they were doing the right thing and the holy thing. But actually, in this story, Jesus indicates to us that loving the neighbor is the priority and that the other laws are built around supporting this. To love God and to love our neighbor is the most important. Um, I also find that when I get stuck on theological issues, which I do, uh, I was a theology student at university here, <laughs> um, and I find myself in that thing about what is the point, that this is the point, um, this is the stuff that changes everything. Uh, the Revelation Family Church vision is, does anyone know it? <laughs> uh, God's love reaching everywhere, transforming everyone and changing everything. Um, and that being pastoral and bringing God's love into our daily relationships with others has a radical transformative difference. And I know because I've seen it happen. Um, so it might be a good place to start telling you more about who I am and my journey so far. Um, I know some of you really well. I know others of you less well. Um, I moved to Chichester to come to uni, um, and I started coming to Revs at the same time in 2013. After uni, I stayed here to get a job in a cafe near the beach, and then I worked for Revs to do the kids' work with Dan Swice Hennessy, and then I went to work with Mark Oliver at YES, uh, supporting teenagers who struggle with mental health. Uh, and now, since March this year, I've been working with my husband Sam and Dan Thompson, the youth worker here, um, for the Bell Tower Youth Drop-In. He does two jobs, if that wasn't clear. <laughs> My work life has almost always been about working face-to-face -face with people and has always been about supporting others because that's what I'm passionate about. Um, and that's what God's built my heart for. That means I've spent lots of time trying to be a pastoral presence. It means that I've spent many hours doing the face-to-face -face with people and trying to love them with God, God's heart. Um, but I just want to say as a bit of a disclaimer... <laughs> Um, it also means that I've spent, well, I have lots of experience of getting it wrong and missing the mark. Um, and Sarah and I were talking a bit about it beforehand. Sometimes we feel um, not equipped to talk about something because we know our failings. But um, I do know my failings and I'm still here. <laughs> and God knows my heart. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I have, that's what I've been spending a lot of time doing. Um, in my list of jobs is also a lot of name dropping for people in our community, which is wonderful because it means that the team that helped me to love other people is often made up of people in this church community. That is both a privilege and a joy. I've seen the people on that list love with God's heart in their own context. And I'd like to say that probably the job where I knew I was radically serving and sharing God's love the most with others was in the cafe when I wasn't surrounded by the Christians. I think it's helpful to know that because, um, yeah, talking to Carmela last week, she was talking about how she can do that in Sainsbury's. <laughs> I don't know your context and I don't know what's difficult for you. It might not be your work context, it might be your home context, it might be other things that are going on for you. Um, 
but you can make a difference where you are. Um, sorry. <laughs> I want to give you an example of it um, in the cafe, when, which is when I started the job. There was a guy who'd come in the cafe every day that everyone would hide from. If I, um, well, he just felt creepy. He'd say hugely inappropriate things. Um, uh, uninvasive things, the female waitresses, and would, he'd actually sit staring at page three whilst you served him, which was just like huge. Um, to protect the younger staff from this, I'd ensure that it was me that would serve him each day when I went to, um, yeah. I'd always smile and I'd chat to him, but I was, un I was really uncomfortable and I didn't want to talk to him. But I was trying to do the best that I could to bring God's love into that situation. I knew that no physical harm could come to me and that I would, I'd just have to brush off everything that he said that was unhelpful. So I wasn't unsafe to do that, but I was uncomfortable to do that and I didn't want to do it. Little by little, he actually softened. I introduced him to another customer who became his really good friend and... Um, they would meet every day. Over time, his language changed, his heart warmed, and he was no longer a problematic customer. This did take a long time and was definitely not easy in the process. On my last day working at the cafe, one of the newest staff at the cafe asked where the cute man who came in every day with his puppy was. And I realized she meant him. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> uh, the perception others had of him had also changed. And he was a friendly and familiar face to most of the customers and the staff. They all knew who he was. And he was adored. And um, I, hadn't been, I hadn't felt equipped to talk to him. I hadn't felt like I was sharing good things. But I was just trying to bring whatever I could muster up to go and chat to this guy. So what are we looking for by being a pastoral presence? I think it's that we all need to feel seen, known, and loved. And that we as Christians are commanded and instructed to do this as our duty, to make others people others feel seen, known and loved, to love our neighbour as ourselves. Uh, we all need to be loved, to have space to share, to be accepted and to have a community. Jesus always met people's deepest needs and we're all called to walk in the same way. That can be as simple as giving someone the space and maybe the time to speak and to share their story. Lots of people need to be able to share their experiences without judgement without advice, and to be believed. So often we want to support others that we see are struggling, and we want to help them to change their circumstances. Challenging others and being honest with others is absolutely a good and godly thing, and scripture tells us to do it. Um, on the screen is going to be Matthew 18, 15 to 17. Um, but I'm not going to read it because... Um, it's not what I'm focusing on today. It's not about challenging others, but about that first thing, about making a safe space for others, making sure that they're safe, making sure that they're welcome. I think the Bible's really clear about the heart in which we're supposed to love others. It's about support, encouragement, and our hearts. Galatians 6, 1-2 says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think that's amazing. To bear each other's burdens is to fulfill the law. This is not just about challenging others. 
and giving um, and not giving them advice. I know that in my life I felt really encouraged by those who've listened to me and asked me more questions about what's going on for me rather than telling me what to do. Often the wisest people in my life ask me questions that are shaped by their relationship with God and they're reflective of God's heart for me. Open questions about what I'm feeling and understanding um, that the more we chat about what's going on, the deeper stuff comes out. It's not just the surface level, oh, you should just do this, or, um, but just let's pull that apart slowly. Why do you think you felt like that? What was going on for you? What happened in that moment? When did your heart start feeling like that for you to be that reactive or whatever, something like that? Um, yeah, it's worth noting that even though Jesus had the most understanding of any human about how we should live, that he was asked far, far more questions than he actually answered. A guy called Martin B. Copenhaver has written a book on the 307 questions that Jesus asked others. And according to him, Jesus himself was asked 183 questions, of which he only answered three, and he asked 307. Do you not think that is reflective of who Jesus is and his heart for hearing from you, slowing things down and um, wanting to hear from you? I haven't actually read the book, so I haven't fact-checked it. (laughs) The next part of being a pastoral presence is about acceptance of those who are different from us. An easy place for me to do that, because there were so many different people in my everyday life, was here at university, especially in halls with people I lived with. A natural part of my faith here with friends who had very little experience of God or Christians was just to be a kind friend who was trustworthy and that anyone could talk to without judgment. Um, The evidence of being a safe space showed up every now and again in really obvious ways. One of these was when... um, One of the students in the building was exploring her spirituality um, and uh, she was trying to do a seance upstairs. And there was like little giggles at first. Um, But one of the girls came running in to my flat and she was like, I'm really scared and I know that if I'm in your flat, I'm safe. (laughs) And one by one, there were 30 people in our flat. Basically all of them are in the flat, like huddled up. And they said, we know we're safe here. And they're kind of joking about it, but they're kind of not. You can see the look of fear on their faces because they don't know what they're dealing with. They, they know that this is a spiritual battle and they know where to come, you know. Um, they know what safety is and they know how to find it. Um, they still ask me to pray about big things in their life 10 years on from starting uni and loads of them don't have a faith, but they know when it hits the fan... <laughs> Where do you go? You go to your friends that have faith. And you know that because they're consistent and reliable and they know a God, you know? Um, It's also been true at the Bell Tower. I was going to call them the old young people. And by that, I mean just anybody who used to come to the Bell Tower from year 7 to year 13-ish and is now too old. Loads of them come back to see Sam when big things happen in life, like when they get qualifications or they get pregnant or they get a job or something. And it's such an honour that they do that. I'm sure that the reason that they do that is because Sam has been a consistent and steady part of their lives for such a long time. He's played table tennis with them whilst they talked about their family dynamics at home um, or sat and played Uno with them when they didn't have much to say because they'd had a difficult day. You know, it's asking them how you're doing and noticing when they're different. They don't just come and find him on good days, they come and find him on bad days too. 
They know where to find safety and acceptance as they are because Sam's proven to be reliable and trustworthy through the thick and thin of their lives and despite whatever circumstances are thrown at them. I think it can be tricky to love people in different contexts because sometimes we have to hold conflicting thoughts whilst we support them. It might be that something that they share conflicts with a view or belief that you have. It might be that you find their story conflicts with somebody else's story. You can hold two things at once. Um, you can understand that someone is having a difficult experience, their self, that is real and valid, whilst not agreeing with everything that they have to say, the way that they say it, or knowing that there's another side to the situation. If Sam and I had a fight, we'd have different versions of the story, and they would probably both have truth in them, and our experience is real. We never fight, though, do we, Sam? <laughs> never, never. Um, but you can hold both things at once when you're supporting people. Um, truth is important, but people... People's experience is also important. Ephesians 4, 32 says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11 also talks about how we should treat each other, saying, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. It's your job to show up carrying God's love into each situation and to remember that he loves your colleagues, your friends, and even your family so, so much more than you do. If you invite him into these situations, he can do more than you had imagined for his glory. I think there's another part to this too, which is that the devil wants to get a foothold in our churches and our communities by dividing us. In Matthew 12, 25, Jesus said, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. The best way for the devil to gain territory is to use us to hurt each other. His agenda is destruction, and his strategy is division. John 10.10 10 talks about it and says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Almost all of the people that I know that have left church or have moved away from a path towards God have done so because of painful experiences with people. It's when our relationships and our experiences have fallen short of God's desire for us and we've caused pain to each other. Some of it's inevitable in that we hurt each other accidentally all the time due to all kinds of things. Um, and the, the words that we use with each other and um, feelings of either feeling left out or not acknowledged, when we, try and, um, when we don't take people seriously, when they try and hold us accountable, feeling dismissed, not accepted, all kinds of things. But there are, I think there are two parts to this, which are um, recognising the risk of being cut off and isolated due to division uh, for us, and recognising that other people might be by the things that are said. So let's talk about part one of that, which is uh, recognising that we're at risk of being cut off and isolated due to division. We must protect ourselves by guarding our own hearts and keeping watch with our hearts so that we're soft-hearted to others and not easily offended ourselves. I'm going to blow my nose. Sorry. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We must try to hear what others are saying and be slow to anger. Um, there's a few verses here about being slow to anger. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And that's James 1 verse 19. And good sense makes one slow to anger and its glory 
and it is his glory to overlook an offence, which is Proverbs 19.11. There are things that uh, shouldn't be overlooked, but um, for the most part, we're so easily... I'm, I'm sensitive. I'm easily offended if I think about it. And it takes me a minute to go, oh, actually, hang on. Like, what did they mean? What are they trying to say? Um, and to slow down about it, to be less reactive and to slow my heart down and slow my thoughts down and to think in kindness for the other person. We have to be told to be slow to anger because it's not easy to do. We might be reactive or sensitive, especially if we don't have the social skills and all the tools in that moment to ask the person to clarify or to speak to the part that they're saying that we found offensive. Being slow to anger is about your heart and your thoughts, but on a practical level, we can practice this by being slow to open our mouths and respond. Um, I know that if somebody comes back to me later with feedback, it's better than in the heat of the moment, loads of the time. I'm in a better place than they are too. We don't have to always respond right now. Um, and this, that, this part of it is about you're at risk of becoming isolated as well. Um, and that we might need to have plans to help us to stay connected to others when it can be hard to come or to be part of a community for all kinds of reasons. Um, people that will help us when we're not at our best to not get cut off and isolated. It's worth having a small number of people that you know that you can reach out to when you feel cut off or hurting, that you can share snippets of what you're going through, that are on your team, they're for you, and they have God's heart for you and for the others that you might be struggling with. So that's about protecting ourselves and being aware of it in ourselves, but for others, to protect others from being cut off and isolated, this is the second part. We should understand and be aware that it's so easy for us to isolate others or for others to be struggling in our communities and that we're called to support and encourage them. Many that need our pastoral presence are those around us who've had these pains and experiences. This has to, um, sorry, and knowing what we know about Christians, about how Christians are called to serve one another well, this has to be taken seriously. Like the most important verse that I'm going to read you today, apart from the one about just love God and love your neighbour, is this one. I absolutely love this. And this is um, Jesus' heart for, um, for this whole topic, which is this. It's John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. I just think that's so exciting that that's the bit that's attractive to other people. Like my, um, my friends that aren't Christians don't read the Bible, they read me. They read my expressions, they read um, my interactions with waitresses or um, how I speak to my Alexa, you know. Um, but they do, they do. Um, and how you love each other, that's what's going to make disciples. Like how we show each other, because we love each other so much in our communities. Um, the love should be overflowing and infectious, like that's what it's about. It, uh, you can have the shiniest things going on you want, uh, nobody cares, nobody cares. The shiny things in the whole world, you know, um, the real stuff is between you and me and how we love each other. And loving one another means everyone. We're one body and God loves all his people, even the people that you find difficult. In fact, especially the people that you find difficult. Um, loving your neighbour is exactly that. Um, it's not love your fun neighbour, love your cool neighbour, love your attractive neighbour, love your easygoing neighbour. It's love everyone, love your neighbour. Love others that um, 
Love those that others have not noticed. Those that there is no reward for you spending time with them. And Jesus is the perfect example of a pastor. The people he spent time with were absolutely the outcasts in their society. The tax collectors who were worse than the Romans because they were stealing off their own people in the eyes of the Jewish community. Uh, the prostitutes who were not regarded with honour or dignity at the time. Um, all kinds of people. Jesus spent time with the sick, and I'm talking about lepers who were not touched by anyone. How many people are there in our communities who don't experience any physical touch? Go and Google how much physical touch you need. You need physical touch. You need physical touch. If you're trying to live like Jesus, does your time with others reflect this? So, um, I'm sorry if I talk too long. <laughs> but um, I'm going to put some questions up on the board. I'm going to read them out. But we're going to spend five minutes thinking about them to ourselves. And then hopefully you can turn into little groups and chat about them as well. Um, it's a bit of introverted thinking and then extroverted thinking. Because we're usually supporting extroverted ideas. But there's paper down here as well and pens. So I'm going to read them out. Um, and you've got five minutes and I'll set a timer on my phone. Who in my life needs my pastoral presence? Think of three people. What are the things that stop me from supporting others? When was the last time you invited someone into the inner circle of your life, over for dinner, etc., who is in need of care, but offers you nothing in return or even costs you to spend time with? Jesus regularly did this. Who are the outcasts on your front line and how might you open your life to them? Are there any actions you need to implement after church tonight? People to contact, inv invitations to send.